What's going on? Welcome into a game day edition of the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek. I'm Daniel Salerson as the Pelicans will take on uh, the best team in the NBA tonight in the Utah Jazz inside the Smoothie King Center. Three game, more games to wrap up the first half of the schedule, but we're going to take a little bit of a break from previewing the game. And uh, welcome in Kevin Pelton, NBA writer for ESPN, in case you missed it. Last week, you wrote a great article on Zion Williamson called This Zion Superstar Leap is Astounding. And he joins us on the podcast today to talk about that. Kevin, I appreciate you coming on. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Uh, what was behind you writing the article in the first place? What were you seeing from him that kind of propelled you to, to go deeper into what's been leading behind Zion's great season so far? Yeah, I think a lot of the things I touched on in the article, uh, first off, the fact that, you know, it's kind of a slow start to the season with all the expectations for Zion being healthy after, you know, his abbreviated rookie season and and the setback in terms of, you know, not being in shape in the bubble, which was a real disappointment. And, you know, there was a sense of, okay, he hasn't really taken this next step in his development after this extremely promising debut after, you know, the first 10 games or so of the season. And then slowly but steadily, that changed dramatically. And he's putting up these incredible lines every night and doing it in this way that's different stylistically in terms of him having the ball in his hands more frequently. So definitely just kind of wanted to look into that. And it felt like something that wasn't necessarily being talked about a lot nationally. And then funny enough, both my piece and Kevin O'Connor's video for The Ringer talking about something similar dropped the same day. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of people are starting to notice that. But before we get into his playmaking abilities, I feel like, you know, of course, you mentioned there's a lot of expectations riding on Zion, even though he hasn't technically played a complete season, only, you know, 50 plus games so far. Are the expectations so high with him just because he's a number one pick or is there more to it just based on the popularity of Zion Williamson? Yeah, I mean, definitely the highlights, you know, the the hype that's associated with that is a part of it. But even setting that aside, I mean, I, I can't say that I wasn't part of setting those expectations yeah. high. I wrote about, you know, he was the best statistical prospect that we'd seen come out of the college ranks in some time based on his performance at Duke. So, you know, I think that of, of the, even relative to a number one pick, I would say the expectations were high for him and, and maybe a little unfair given, you know, the, the interest situation he had as a rookie. It's definitely interesting to see, you know, how many people compare him to certain players. Some people talk about, you know, there's no one else for Zion Williamson as far as his skill set. Do you find any comparisons with anyone else or is he just so unique that, you know, someone else maybe deemed the next Zion Williamson in 20, 25 years? Where do you see him? Is there's any comparisons to anyone that you've seen from his game? I think part of what makes him unique is that the guys you'd compare him to are all physically very different, you know, where he's six foot seven and you, the comparison is Shaq, who is this giant physical force in a different way, or Giannis, who's you know six foot eleven and and grew into his body a bit differently. But those are the kind of comparisons we're talking about in terms of you know his dominance is an interior score. I mean that was you know something that uh, my my friend Seth Partnow at the Athletic had had posted about online is you know how different. Zion's rate of scoring in the restricted area around the basket is from anyone else since we've started tracking this in the uh, NBA.com play-by-play area. I went back to 1997-98 when I kind of took a did a version of his chart was a career chart. I did it season by season and going back to 97-98 the first year we really had that data reliably the two greatest seasons in terms of scoring in the restricted area per 100 possessions are both Zion the last two seasons. That's crazy to think about. And you did bring up Giannis uh, in your piece as far as 
comparisons to him. What are some of the similarities with them as far as their game ever since Zion has been more, you know, point Zion as a lot of people are talking about here? Right. Yeah. It's the same thing where they're both forces once you get near the basket. And sort of the question is, what's the best way to do that? And, you know, conventionally in NBA basketball with someone who's an interior scorer, guys who are not, you know, great outside shooters, although both of them have the ability to step out and knock down the three is, okay, we're either going to post them up or we're going to use them in the pick and roll as a roll man. And this is one of these kind of new evolutions in NBA basketball now where, you know, is players of this size become so much more skilled as ball handlers. You not only do that, but you put them on the other end of the pick and roll or in isolation and put them at the top of the key and give them an ability to penetrate against, you know, defenders who can't keep up with them off the dribble. And, you know, that, that I think is where a lot of the similarity lies. And it, it worked out very well that we ended up publishing that piece the day before or the day of, I should say, the uh, Zion Giannis matchup. Yeah, they, they both put on a show in Milwaukee. That's for sure. Unfortunately, a loss for the Pelicans there, but a close one there um, last Thursday. When you talk about Point Zion and you talk about the different styles in the pick and roll, um, I think a lot of people are now starting to realize his passing is a lot better than maybe they expected. Have you seen that as well as far as, you know, the team is very successful and he has five or more assists. I believe it's seven and one this season. Have you noticed that when you're writing your article about his not only his playmaking, but also his facilitating with the ball? For sure. I mean, that was one of those things that stood out. You know, I put together his splits 10 games at a time this season, and you see the jump in a lot of categories over those 10 game stretches this season, but his assist rate is definitely foremost among them. And yeah, if you're only capable of scoring yourself, then it's not going to work putting the ball in your hands. Defenses are going to figure it out in terms of bringing extra help and walling off around the basket. And you have to be able to make plays as a distributor as well. And, you know, that was something that probably didn't stand out to me as much watching Zion at Duke. And I, I probably kind of underrated that element of his game, but my colleague, Mike Schmitz, who writes, about the draft exclusively for us or primarily, you know, did go back and, and point out that he had a video of Zion as a prospect talking about his ability as a passer. What's next for Zion? Because everyone, I think, kind of wants to see what is next for him as far as his playmaking ability. Uh, you've seen the results of him inside the rim, um, you know, number one in points in the paint. What's next for him? What, what part of his game do you think needs to develop a little bit more? Well, I think it's similar to Giannis where – we are seeing teams now adjust to this and do a better job of creating that wall and keeping him out of the paint. You know, I think the the Bucks were able to do that. You know, at, at, at times in that game, but uh, after he had the incredibly dominant first half of that that performance, and that's where you kind of need that in between game a little bit. You know, the the Bucks approach to this with Giannis has been to try to develop the off the dribble three. And, you know, it's still not a high percentage shot for him. It's maybe more better percentage than, you know, a, a pull up 20 footer would be just because you get the extra point for it. And therefore it's 50% more valuable when they do go in. But I, I think similar to Giannis that the ultimate answer is probably more about, you know, it's a floater game. It's some sort of a pull up jumper from around 10 feet so that when that wall is built, you know, five to six feet around the basket, you've got the ability to go over the top of it, but not all the way from the perimeter necessarily. You started seeing that with the San Antonio Spurs the other night. They had some success stopping Zion Williamson a little bit in that game. So you are going to see a lot of teams starting to adjust and build that wall that you mentioned. Uh, of course, Zion's going to be appearing in his first all-star game, the fourth youngest to ever do so. And what was surprising to me is, of course, this was named by the coaches, you know, being named a reserve. 
Were you surprised, you know, despite the Pelicans record? I know that has a lot to do with a lot of these players getting in. Were you surprised as Zion made the all-star team, or did you feel like he was deserving no matter what the situation was? I definitely thought he was deserving, but I, I was a little bit surprised. I mean, one of the things I was kind of expecting to write in this article was, you know, this is going to be similar to Steph Curry and I want to say 2012-13, where it was sort of the first year that he took off and became the star player. And he didn't make the all-star team because, you know, he, he hadn't proven it enough in the minds of coaches at that point. But then I think did maybe make all NBA and the next year it was clear like this guy's a no-brainer all-star so that that was what I was kind of expecting is to write like by the end of the season it's going to look uh completely misguided that this guy wasn't an all-star but then the coaches proved me wrong and uh were a bit ahead of the curve has he proven enough for you that he's an all-star have you have you seen enough from him that you realize yeah I mean he, he definitely deserves it to be in and you know the fact that he's had the season that he has so far I have I mean I I think that you know, there's certainly growth for him to still to come at the defensive end of the court, but uh, what he's doing offensively, he's become one of the, the greatest offensive forces in the league right now. Yeah, no doubt about that. Um, let's talk about the NBA a little bit before I let you go here. We're talking with Kevin Pelton, NBA writer for ESPN. Um, how would you describe maybe in a couple words or a phrase, how would you describe this first half of the season? Look, we've seen a lot of cancellations, mm-hmm. postponements due to COVID. Um, so many games compacted into one. As we wrap up this week, how, how in the world would you describe this first half of the season so far? Chaotic, perhaps. Yes. I mean, I, I, we noted early on this trend towards greater unpredictability in the outcome of games. It seems like three-point shooting is, is those numbers are up across the league, uh, is having even more dramatic effect than you'd expect based on that you know, kind of year-to-year growth that we've seen over time. Uh, all these blowouts. And it seems like almost every team in the league has gone through a stretch of some period where they've struggled or have been unexpectedly hot. And yet then you kind of come back to it over time and an incredibly high percentage of the league is right around 500 for this point in the season. And then, you know, especially relative to the midpoint of the usual season, since it's, you know, five games shorter, the first half and 10 games shorter, the schedule as a whole. Before I let you go, I might as well ask you about the Utah Jazz, who the Pelicans will play tonight. They'll wrap up the season series, I think. Luckily for for us, the way the Jazz are playing, you know, the Pelicans will have to deal with them in the second half of the season. But, you know, I think a lot of people had high expectations for them, but I don't know about this high as far as leading the NBA um, with a 27-7 and record. Why have they been so successful and, and so dominant, I would say, through these first 34 games? Yeah, I think I was on the high end on the Jazz because I thought they were the third best team in the West after the two L.A. teams. And, you know, it's it's one of those things where when a team clicks like this, it's a combination of a bunch of different factors that everything has has gone pretty well for them. They've been mostly healthy with the exception of the few games that Mike Conley missed with his hamstring and and they kept on rolling during that period of time offensively I think it's the culmination of what they've been working towards for a couple of years here when they added Conley and Boyan Bogdanovich really tried to upgrade their shooting around Rudy Gobert and and give Donovan Mitchell more space two years ago and that's just clicking now because all of those guys are shooting so well from three uh, including Royce O'Neal who's not someone who you previously thought of is a strong three-point shooter he was a guy who you know you're willing to leave open and now even he's knocking them down in addition so it's the entire starting lineup it's Joe Ingles and Jordan Clarkson coming in off the bench it's basically everyone they they play, play regularly except Derek Favors is an excellent three-point shooter and they share the ball really well so that combination makes them very difficult to guard 
And then defensively, you everything is built around Gobert on the inside. And uh, one of the fascinating trends this season, which you know has has affected the Pelicans, is the last couple of years we saw it where teams that really sold out to defend the rim and were willing to sacrifice three pointers to do it were exceptionally successful defensively. You know, the Milwaukee's, the Toronto's of the league. And this year that's kind of flipped where the three point shooting has been so strong and teams have been doing a better job of protecting the rim. So now being able to stay home and shooters has been relatively more valuable. And the one team that's sort of been able to pull off both sides of that because of Gobert is the jazz where they have awesome rim protection, but also allow relatively few threes. Should be a fun one tonight in the Smoothie King Center. That's Kevin Pelton, NBA writer for ESPN. You can follow his great work on Twitter at K Pelton. Kevin, I really appreciate the time. Really enjoyed the article on Zion. And hopefully we'll talk to you down the line in the second half of the season. There he goes. That's Kevin Pelton of ESPN.com. A great article. Again, if you have ESPN Plus or want to subscribe, go ahead and log on to ESPN.com. A great piece by Kevin, as there's a lot of great pieces on Zion Williamson the way. He's been playing, but the Pelicans certainly need to get back on track after a couple of tough losses Thursday against Milwaukee and then a three-point loss to the San Antonio Spurs on Saturday. The Pelicans look to stop their losing streak against the Utah Jazz, as I mentioned, 27-7 and on the season. For them, the best record in the NBA. The Pelicans have lost them twice on the road on January 19th and January 21st. So we'll see if the Pelicans can open up the homestand with a huge win. It's a three-game week for the Pelicans before they'll hit the All-Star break. Wednesday, they'll take on the Chicago Bulls and wrap up that series in series, and then they'll wrap up the season series against the Miami Heat. That game was scheduled for 8.30 p.m. on Thursday. That has moved up to 7.30, and that will be nationally televised on TNT. So hope you can join us throughout the week. We'll have a ton of podcasts for you, coverage on Wednesday, as we hope to have Joel Myers and Antonio Daniels for Fox Sports New Orleans. And then Tim Reynolds, the AP, who covers the NBA and the Miami Heat, will have him on on Thursday as well. More on that later on. Pelicans and Jazz tonight, 7 o'clock. You can watch it on Fox Sports New Orleans or listen on ESPN New Orleans 100.3 FM. Pre-game coverage starting at 6.30 for both. For Kevin Pelton, I'm Daniel Salerson. Thanks for listening to the Pelicans podcast presented by Seeky.